Thank you, Mandy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the South Suburban Venue Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting for the very first time, or if you uh, this is your first time in a long time, good to see you here this morning. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you here this morning. Before I get into uh, the message this morning, I, I want to just give you a brief update. For the last four or five weeks, we've been collecting money for a special offering that we have taken to help eliminate medical debt for people here um, in the south suburbs. We partnered with at least four other churches, and basically we've been promoting it in our churches in order to surprise some folks this, this holiday season by you know, helping them receive letters that say, hey, all your medical debt that's been holding up your credit and all this other stuff has been eliminated. And so I just want to say thank you because this church has raised $4,409. Uh, toward that effort. And we said just as a leadership team that our church would give no less than $5,000 to this effort. And so we will put, put with what you raised enough money to, to give $5,000 toward this effort. But collectively as a church, um, and all the churches haven't reported quite yet, but we've raised close to $40,000, which will eliminate $4 million worth of medical debt. And so uh, we'll mail our checks in this week, and folks, they'll, they'll begin that process. But I want to thank you all for this, because this church is so generous. I told you last week that we've raised over $300,000 for our building fund already, and all this money is going to mission. This is uh, not just stuff we're doing just to ask you for money, but all of this, every nickel of this money is going to mission, and I want to thank you because it's so awesome to, uh, to serve uh, a generous church. So uh, as those, uh, you know, as that figure increases, I know some of you wanted to give last week, but couldn't, you can still go online and pull uh, on the pull down tab, select medical debt, or if you want to give in service, uh, we can still receive those gifts. So thank you. Thank you very much. I also want to say that um, uh, we, you, you know that you might know that we are hiring for an admin assistant position. Uh, my faithful admin, uh, Bobby Rao, his last day on staff was yesterday. And so I just want to say thank you to Bobby. Uh, the admin assistant around here does so much behind-the-scenes work. So everything from bulletins, everything from keeping the website up and scheduling, managing our facility. And Bobby came on at a time where we are doing a lot of updates, so he had his hand in a lot of things. And so I'm going to miss him dearly, but I know that the Lord will provide somebody to take his place. And so, Bobby, you were extremely easy uh, to work with, a faithful servant. And I just want to thank you publicly for your service. And so thank you. Well, let me get into the word today. I'm continuing and concluding a short series that I started a couple weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And if you've been hanging around the vineyard for any length of time, whether this vineyard or one of our other 600 congregations around the U.S., you won't have to be there long before you hear this phrase. Uh, before you hear this in a prayer, before you hear this during worship, because this is uh, one of the proud prayers of the vineyard, come Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, this is not a command. We're not demanding or commanding the Holy Spirit to come any place or to do anything. As I said last week, this is a humble invitation, an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us. And as we mentioned last week, some of us struggle with this whole notion of come Holy Spirit, this invitation to be filled with the Spirit, simply because we're so full of many other things. And like we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, that you can't be filled if you're full already. And so in order to pray this prayer authentically, there has to be an emptying out of oneself. In order to pray this prayer authentically, there has to be an acknowledgement that we have filled ourselves, we have gorged ourselves on lesser things, and we don't have any available space for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Others of us struggle when it comes to the Holy Spirit because we've, we're not been, we've not been properly educated, or many of us have been misinformed. Educated, And so we don't know quite which box to put the Holy Spirit in. We don't quite know how to handle him and the power and his presence. And so we, we take some time regularly to talk about the Holy Spirit because we have found that the Holy Spirit is not some add-on. It's not some optional thing for the Christian. 
the Holy Spirit, his power and presence is necessary. And so when somebody asks, do we really need the Holy Spirit? Do we really need to be talking about this? Do we really need to get into the spooky weirdness of Holy Spirit life? The, the answer is yes, yes, even so, yes. Through all accounts, as you look throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is present. It's powering the works and the mission and the ministry of God. And so we've taken to saying around here that the Christian life is the empowered life, and so one should view the Holy Spirit as the power or the motor or the juice that powers mission, that powers purpose. We believe that we are empowered to do what God has called us to do. And empowered simply means to give ability to something, to empower, give someone power to do something. And so we've been empowered to live this life the way that God has intended this life to be lived because the Holy Spirit empowers what? Purpose, right? And so last week we talked about the role and work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the Spirit is supposed to point us to God, how he's supposed to be an advocate or helper or a counselor to us, how the Holy Spirit faithfully and regularly convicts us of the sin that so easily besets us. We talked also about the Holy Spirit leading us into truth. And finally, we talked about how the Holy Spirit brings us a peace that the world can't give. And of course, if the world can't give us the peace, the world cannot take it away. I want to continue this series today and drill down a little bit deeper. And I want to examine what it means to live lives that are deeply impacted, influenced, and powered by the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. I want to drill down a little bit deeper today, and I want to examine what it means to live lives that are deeply impacted, influenced, and powered by the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, the Christian life is supposed to be full of the Spirit of God, and our love and life and ministry to the world around us should be ministering from what? The overflow of God's Spirit. Now, I want you to think about that for a second because that's really going to help, help frame for us the need to be filled with the Spirit. If the world around us can only benefit from the goodness and the light and the ministry that we're supposed to be continuing through the overflow of the Spirit, then that means that we first must be filled ourselves. Right? And some of us, what we're overflowing with and spilling all over the world is something other than the Holy Spirit. But our prayers, our desires is to be, Lord, let my ministry to the world around me be the overflow of the Spirit. In order to overflow, this finite container must first be filled. And so a life in the Spirit, if we can use that expression, has two very important components. It has an internal component, and it also has an external component. To put it a different way, there's a personal aspect to this, and there's a public aspect to this. To put it a different way, there is an inward aspect to life of the Spirit, and there is an outward aspect. The inward is like I'm filled with the Spirit, so the Spirit can work on me and my soul and my thought life and my passions and my appetites and my desires, but also the outward, external impact of the Holy Spirit is that as I'm filled to overflowing with the Spirit, it impacts everybody that I touch. I want to look at this a little closely as I look at a passage of Scripture today in Galatians. Would you meet me in your Bibles this morning? Galatians chapter 5. There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use those Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, by the way, feel free to take one of those Bibles home as a gift from us to you. Um, you could also interact with the Scriptures this morning through your uh, electronic devices, your tablets, or your phones. We'll also be projecting the scriptures up on the screens if you might uh, prefer to interact with the text that way. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 16. As you find that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this awesome privilege um, to stand before your people and to preach your word. Father, would you forgive us for the ways that we've been indifferent about your, your spirit? Um, Father, would you forgive us for the ways that we have 
mishandled it, mistreated it, were careless with it, have tried to motor through life without it. Father, would you teach us? Would you instruct us today? And as you visited with us last week, Father, I pray that your power and your presence will be even thicker in this room today. Father, would you make our hearts soft landing places to receive? Give us the courage to respond to you in this word in a way that you would find pleasing. Put power on these words that you've given me. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. This is Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. We'll pick up at verse 16. reads this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Very important phrase. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Continues in verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, I love this text because it's a challenging text. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't like to be challenged, but I need to be challenged, right? I, I, don't, need, I don't like to be arrested by God's Word, uh, but I need to be arrested by God's Word. And so one of the things that the Spirit of Truth will do, as we talked about last night, it, it will point us to God. It will point out areas in our life where we need Him. And I just, I just feel like maybe not the super spiritual people in the room, but many of us here today can benefit from wrestling with this text and hearing what the Spirit would have to say to us this morning. I like this text because sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about, you know, the tangible presence of God that makes us feel good in a meeting like this where God's tangible presence comes over us and maybe we get warm and maybe we start crying and maybe some of us get really emotional, right? And I love that. Like last week, I just felt God's Spirit here in a really tangible way, right? But we talked last week that the Holy Spirit just doesn't give you the warm fuzzies, uh, like in a meeting, the Holy Spirit isn't just showing up to, 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 to fuel like these power encounters where people are being healed. That's an aspect of what the Spirit does. But what the Spirit does mostly is help me work on me. What the Spirit majors in is like helping you and I uh, like, like become more sanctified, right? And sanctification is simply the ongoing, lifelong work of becoming more and more like Jesus. The Spirit's role primarily is to indwell within us and to point us toward God, to lead us to God. And this is why Paul says in the opening sentence of this particular passage, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. We love it when God shows up in the meeting. We love it when he heals, but more than anything, we need God to show up and guide our lives. Because when the Spirit guides our life, he points us to God's character, points us to God's nature, points us to the truth and God's essence. It empowers the Christian life. But Paul frames this in a very helpful way for us because we needn't miss out on this point that like, we still have a choice whether or not to live a life in the Spirit or not. 
The Holy Spirit just doesn't come and grab us and wrestle us down and make us holy. Doesn't come wrestle us down and pry from our fingers the sinful lusts and passions and desires and appetites. Doesn't come and arrest us and take that stuff from us. Like Paul frames this as like a choice that we have to make. A choice that we have to make whether to lean in or lean away. Whether to listen to the spirit of truth or to whether to ignore his voice. This is a choice. Come Holy Spirit is a choice. And so the big questions are, will we live an invitational life? An invitational life opens the door so that the Spirit might come in. An invitational life keeps an ear toward heaven in case the Spirit might lead us toward or away from something that we are about to wrap ourselves up in. Will we arrange ourselves to be in position to receive to respond and obey what the Spirit is leading? Will we be able to let the Spirit do its work in us and through us? Will we live the come Holy Spirit invitational life? That is the burning question. I can't answer that question for you. You can't answer that question for me, but that is the question that is before us, especially as we look at this text. And in light of this text, I want to point out three major things that you all need to know and be aware of in order to live a life in the Spirit. Three things. The first thing is this. Paul tells us this, that there is an internal struggle. There is an internal struggle. There is an internal battle. There is a spiritual war raging on the inside of you. And some of you knew this, but others of you, this acknowledgement will help you make sense of your life. This acknowledgement will help you make sense of the last few days, particularly as you spent them with family and friends over the Thanksgiving holiday. There are two teams on the field. Pastor friend of mine often makes an illustration. For those of you who played sports, you played football, you know there was those days where you just had walkthroughs, right? It was just the offense. We're running through plays. And look, those plays just click so nicely when there's no defense on the field. Everybody's executing right. The guard pulls. The, you know, fullback comes up and blocks. The sweep works just perfectly until another team gets on the field. Then life gets hard, Right? So in the same way, some of us have not reckoned with the fact that there is another team on the field. Yes, the kingdom of God and goodness is pressing forward, but we're pressing against what? The kingdom of darkness. And not only is this, world, this war taking place in the heavenlies and in the earth, this war, Paul tells us, this battle, this spiritual battle is also taking place, guess what? On the inside of me. Battling for what? For my attention, for my affection, for my very soul. Paul says the sinful nature, verse 17, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, I love that language, are, get this, constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It's just, boy, they'll stand and make it simple. The sinful nature, you were born with it. Your sinful nature naturally wants to do evil. It's just natural. You come out of the box that way. You didn't have to teach your kid to lie, did you? Some of them saw really good examples of how to do it, right? But you didn't have to teach them how to try to make, you know, cover up their mess, you don't have to teach them how to, like, slap their sister. Like, you don't have to teach them that. Like, that's in there. The sinful nature wants to do what is evil, while the Spirit of God is urging us toward what? Godliness. Not just goodness, but godliness. There's constant fighting between good and evil, between the Spirit and the flesh within us, and I used to wonder, like, man, when do I get my wings? Like, when as a pastor, like, how many years as a pastor do you have to pastor to where you don't have to do this kind of inward battle thing? How, how many years of experience as a Christian does one need before the Lord says, okay, you've struggled enough. The battle's over. 
spiritual retirement, just lay in the hammock. It never, ever happens. Constant, every day, there is a warring for your affection, for your attention. There's a warring for your soul. And so I love how the Apostle Paul puts this in another letter that he wrote to the church at Rome. He puts it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself. Paul, that makes two of us. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Now, don't read this as Paul blaming, excusing, and justifying. He is the one doing those things. But what he's pointing to is that it's his sinful nature at work. Now, I had a few questions when I first read this. I was, this is Apostle Paul, right? Like, is this account here, is this Paul talking, like, about his pre-conversion self? Like, is this before he became a Christian? No, this is like Paul, Paul. Gospel-preaching Paul. Tongue-talking Paul. Globe-trotting, Holy Ghost-filled, man of God, missionary Paul. This is gift of singleness, Paul. Paul says, there's a war inside me. Paul says, the stuff I know I'm supposed to do, I can't figure out a way to do it. Paul says, I go all over preaching this good news, and you've read the letters, the do's and don'ts, but Paul says, I myself, knowing what is right, I still do what's wrong, wrong uh, lots of the time, and, and I don't know whether to be discouraged or encouraged by this. I'll choose to be encouraged by it because this sounds a lot like me. I know you thought I was perfect. <laughs> you didn't think I was perfect, obviously. But I, I, I resonate with this. I'm encouraged by it because if, if, if Paul's, you know, wrestling in this way and God can still be useful to God, then I'm going to keep wrestling with my stuff. I'm going to keep pressing in. But I love it because Paul helps us to make sense of what's going on. He says, saying, you're not a bad person just because you're struggling with lust and you're struggling with honesty and integrity. He's like, you're not a bad person. You are just probably not living a, a spirit-filled life. Paul says, it doesn't mean, you know, God doesn't want anything to do with you and that you're, you're no good. He's going to throw you away. But it does raise our awareness to the fact that even solid, Jesus-loving Christians can be like Paul here. Because what? There is a constant battle going on. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm strong and sometimes I'm weak. Somebody, sometimes somebody can come and, and, and slap me, and I'll turn the other cheek, just like the Bible says. I'll pray for you. I'll unleash heaven's blessing. And sometimes, you catch me on the wrong day. You know? And so, hopefully you haven't seen that side of me yet. I've seen that side of some of you, though. But we all have that side because there is a spiritual war that's raising. Paul says, there's nothing good in me. Let that sink in for a second. Apart from the goodness of God, life in the Spirit, Paul says, left to myself, there is nothing good in me. Let that sit with you for a minute. So Paul makes this acknowledgement, of course this war is raging because I have invited the Spirit to rest, to rule, and to reign, to guide my life. And when the Spirit moves in, he has to contend with the other force that wants me to be led by my sinful nature. There's two forces. There's, two, there's a war happening, right? 
The second thing I want to point out, I need to point out, is that our lives will bear fruit for better or for worse. Now, the more spiritually mature you get, I just say spiritually mature, the more mature you get, the more you learn to inspect the fruit that's growing on the tree of your life. The immature don't pay attention to the fruit. Immature just go by feelings. In fact, we're wired naturally and selfishly to ignore the negative things and try to focus on the good things about us, right? But the spiritually mature learn to inspect the fruit that is growing on my life. I don't care what you say. If you're growing oranges, you're not an apple tree. Don't, Don't tell me what you are. Just let me watch you for a day or so. Don't tell me what you believe. Just, just let me listen to your conversations and, and, and watch your Facebook presence and, and see how you spend your time and money. I'll tell you what you believe if you just give me a day or so. Because the mature learn to inspect the fruit that grows on the tree of our lives. And for better or worse, we learn that our lives will bear fruit And as we inspect that fruit, it will give us an indication of whether or not the Spirit is ruling our lives or we're being ruled by the sinful nature. Paul gives us two very, like, explicit examples here. The first he gives us is a life apart from the Spirit. There's a life in the Spirit, but there's a life apart from the Spirit. And Paul goes into detail, verse 19, he says, "'When you follow the desires of your sinful nature,' The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I mean, this is a pretty comprehensive list. And some of you can spot some of your favorites in there. Now, I'm not asking you to inspect somebody else's life. Because that's easy to do. You could see with high-definition clarity the fruit, particularly the negative fruit that grows on somebody else's tree. But sometimes it's harder, harder work to see what's growing on your life. And so all these actions deal with certain realms. One is our, the, the, the life of our body, our physical body, how we steward our body. And then there's one realm of our thoughts, right? Lust, impurity, unchecked desires, which gives ways to, to, to sin with our bodies, things that we do with our bodies, things that we do with others. Drunkenness, controlled substances, gluttony, overeating, right? Wild parties, sexual immoralities. Like when we are being led by our sinful nature, we, we misuse our bodies. We misuse these temples that were given to us to house the Holy Spirit in God's presence This body that God has given us to use with intention and with purpose, when we're living a life apart from the Spirit, it becomes oh so easy to use this vehicle for something that is destructive to yourself and to others. When we're living a life apart from the Spirit of God, it affects our devotion. And our devotion, simply think of worship, who we worship and what we worship. We were created to worship God, but when we're living lives apart from the Spirit, we get into idolatry, something else, or someone else climbs onto God's throne and is a governing presence in your life. It could be food. It could be social media. It could be the opinions of others. It could be comfort and convenience, but idolatry is one of the invading sins that presses into our lives when we're living a life apart from the Spirit. Most notably, we tend to mishandle the other humans in the world when we're living a life apart from the Spirit. I told this, there's an internal reality to this, and there's an external reality. Part of our purpose in being on this earth is to relate well to the other humans. To be a vehicle of light and kingdom hope and goodness to other people. And that's one of the first things that gets corrupted when we're living a life apart from the Spirit. Hostility, quarreling. You know somebody who's just quarreled all the time? 
This argues all the time, this fusses all the time, jealousy and envy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. All these things corrupt our relationships with one another. These are fruit, measurable fruit, that grows on the tree of a life of a person who's living a life apart from the Spirit or any of these fruit evident in your life on a consistent basis. Any of these things taken resident in your life and in your heart, I'm not talking about you had a bad day or you slipped and stumbled, but like are these present fruit on the tree of your life? You need to know it, ignore it. We don't point these things out to be condemning, but this is one of the ways that the Spirit of God, right, convicts us of our sin and, and urges us toward godliness by saying, hey, what fruit's growing on the tree of your life? There's the life apart from the Spirit. Then there's a life that's full of the Spirit. A life that's full of the Spirit. Now, a life full of the Spirit doesn't mean that you don't mess up. It doesn't mean that you don't fall short. It doesn't mean that you don't have lapses in good judgment and lapses in good decision-making. It simply means that your home base, that more often than not, that there is evidence and fruit of you being led by the Spirit of God rather than being led around by your sinful nature that drives you into all manners of besetting sin. A life full of the Spirit bears fruit. Don't let anybody tell you different. A life full of the Spirit bears fruit. You could see it from a mile away. And so, again, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm wired these days to mind my own business, but, like, like you tell me you're a Christian, like, I shouldn't be surprised by that, particularly if I know you. Because this fruit grows, certain fruit grows on the life, the tree of the life of a person who's full of the Spirit. Paul says as much in verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. You ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, some of us just got a zero on this test. Fresh off the holidays, you're like, you know what? I'm all out of patience. I'm all out of gentleness. And Lord knows we were all out of self-control this week. This isn't to condemn you. This is to awaken us to the fact that if we don't inspect our fruit on a daily basis, even if we're not in denial, we could just genuinely think we're at a better place than we are. Until something happens, until something catches us in a moment, and we're swept away by it. Now, some of us are in denial. Some of us are in active rebellion against God. Others of us, just, we just haven't bothered to inspect the fruit. We haven't looked around the room of our life and said, is there any love here? Am I being patient with those I love and who love me? Am I just, am I just get anything that I want, that I have access to, food, social media, whatever, are all my appetites and pleasures being satisfied because I, because I lack self-control? Like some of us, if we sat with this list, like we, we, it wouldn't take us long to really assess honestly where, where we are. And I would just say, when I, look, when I look at this list, particularly preparing this message for this, this week, like on the heels of like preaching on the Holy Spirit and on the heels of like, like the Holy Spirit's power and presence being here, I probably had the least, most, least spiritual week ever. I didn't grow at all in God this week. And I was aware of it because I was studying this text. 
And I saw the things that were present in my life, and I saw the things that were absent in my life, and I wanted so desperately for those lists to be switched. This is the preacher. This is why I resonate with Paul's words. This is why don't let anybody stand before you and try to pretend that they're perfect because we are not. You are not. If you think you are, you're in worse shape than we all thought. The Spirit reminds us over and over that it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. doesn't matter that you get up and preach. doesn't matter that you sing on the worship team. doesn't matter that you lead a small group. We've all got work to do. The degree to which you will understand how much work you have to do is it depends on your willingness to regularly inspect the fruit that is growing on the tree of your life. You got any love, patience? gentleness, self-control. Such a wholesome list, isn't it? The personal benefits of having peace and joy and love and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. The personal benefit. Can you imagine if all those things are at play in your life? But the public, communal, community, impact of all of God's people walking in peace, all of God's people leaning toward love, leaning towards kindness, leaning toward gentleness, self-control, if that spills out into the community, spills out into your workplace, spills out into your classroom, spills out in the marketplace, the kingdom is coming, right? So remember, I said there's an internal aspect of this. There's a personal, soul-level aspect of this, but there's also a very public aspect of this. This is the life we want, a life that is full of the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. You can come in church, and you can cry through every song, and you can be slain in the Spirit, and you can run around the building, and that's totally fine if you want to do that here. But, 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 but if you don't do the hard work when you, when you leave this place of letting that same Spirit inform how you relate to yourself, your appetites, and other people, you'll just come in here and be wild. And so I'm more concerned in my life of what the Spirit does in my life outside of this place. Because people are pretty nice in here, right? This is a safe place for the most part. But oh, Monday morning. Oh, that train ride. Come on. That office cubicle that you sit in. Your boss, your employees, your spouse, your kids. I mean, the real test of the Holy Spirit's influence in your life really kicks in in those moments. But this, friends, is a life in the Spirit. And so, so what is the goal here? He said, preacher, what is the goal? Is the goal just to be a good person? Because that whole list, I mean, I want to be that. I want to be around people that's like that. But that just seems like the Spirit wants us to be like do-gooders. Is that the goal of all this? Be filled with the Spirit so I can be a better person? Be filled with the Spirit so I can be a Christian do-gooder? I would say absolutely not. That's a byproduct. You become a better person, but that's not the goal. The indwelling and the empowering of the Spirit has always been about who we are supposed to be, who God created us to be. It always comes back to purpose. It always comes back to purpose, which is the third third and final thing that I want to highlight today. We are empowered for a reason. Somebody say, we are empowered for a reason. Don't ever forget that. If you forget that, then all of this will seem trivial. If you forget that, then this will seem optional, right? But if you, if you internalize this sense that you need the Holy Spirit in order to be who God had in mind for you when he created you, then we'll pursue his presence at just about any cost. We were empowered for a reason. To put it a different way, the Holy Spirit is not just behavior management, And we cheapen the power and presence of the Spirit when we simply reduce it to something that makes us sin less. We're not filled for 
behavior management. The Spirit deals with our sin for a purpose because the Spirit knows that if we're full of sin, we're full of all the accompanying things, guilt, shame, it's a chasm between us and God. It sets us off, of course, and it makes us unavailable to be who God designed us to be. The sin will grow. It will get larger and larger. And before you know it, you're totally off the rails. Before you know it, you're totally off mission. And so, yes, the Spirit deals with our sin, not just so that we can be good people, but so that we can deal with the one and only thing that might keep us from being on mission, and that is being separated from God through sin. We bear fruit of the Spirit for a reason. This all points us back to purpose. And I'll tell you about, I don't know, six years ago, I got a revelation of purpose. I got a revelation of purpose, and it's totally changed my outlook on faith. It's totally changed my, my preaching. I'm looking for it in every text. And everything that God tells us not to do or that everything that God instructs us to, I'm, I'm tr- I see purpose in that. I don't just see rules and boundaries and things I am not allowed to do. I say, man, that's going to get me off course. If I lean into this thing, this is going to get me in position to be who God has called me. The people will be blessed if I'm in position. People will be blessed if I refrain from that. It's all about purpose. It's for a reason. Listen, God loves you very much. And he has a very difficult plan for your life. He has things that he wants you to say yes to that you would not naturally say yes to. He has many things that he commands you to say no to that you would naturally say yes to. To be a person on purpose and to be a person on mission is a challenging life, but this is what God has called us to. Because our number one job as people on purpose and people on mission is to what? Continue the ministry of Jesus. If you, if, you don't, if you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember that you are here to continue the ministry of Jesus. And so I have to regularly ask myself, if Jesus were living my life here in Home of Flossmore, how would he live it? If Jesus had my wife, how would he love her? If Jesus had my four boys, how would he raise them? If Jesus were pastoring the South Suburban Vineyard, how would he pastor? How would he steward it? That's just what I have to ask myself. Maybe you ask that same question about your life and your little slice. How would he do it? My Bible tells us that Jesus sent us out, commissioned us, to go into all the world and to make disciples. I told disciples, listen, I know this is a tall order, but fear not, I'm going to be with you. What was he talking about? The indwelling power and presence of the Spirit that resides in anybody who believes, that goes wherever you go, Jesus says, my Spirit will be with you to do what I've called you to do. It's all about purpose. Finally, I'll say this. I love this passage in Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to the synagogue, as he often did, and he stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah as it was handed to him. And this is what he reads. He reads in verse 18, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind eyes will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogues looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So Jesus just goes, as is custom, to the temple to read. And it just on this particular day, it comes up that the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. And he gets to read a, pro- a prophecy that Isaiah wrote a long time ago, but he was writing it about Jesus. And Jesus reads it. And the first thing he says is, the Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me. And this spirit has anointed me to be a do-gooder. The spirit has anointed me uh, to have good behavior. Oh, the spirit has come upon me so I can run around the church and feel good at service. No, he gets real specific. He says, the spirit has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. The spirit has come upon me so that I could proclaim to the captives that their freedom is coming. The spirit has come upon me so that healing might be released to those who have blind eyes, whether it be spiritual or natural, it doesn't make a difference. The spirit has come upon me to fulfill purpose. And so how many of you would just, you know, tuck in your shirt pocket this morning that the spirit needs to fill you if you're going to be a person on purpose and on mission? If you're going to be one that proclaims the good news, with all the bad news that we hear, if you will be a proclaimer of good news, that the kingdom has come, and that while we're yet in our mess and our sinfulness, Christ died for us, and that we can be free. If you're going to be a proclaimer of that, as unpopular as that message is, you will need to be full of God's Spirit. If you will go to the captives, whatever captives look like in your slice of the world, and tell them that they don't have to live that way, that there's a better way, that Jesus offers them freedom. Jesus has the keys to their cage, whatever that cage might be. If you're going to be busy about that work, you need to be like Jesus, full of the Spirit. We wish to wage war and win the war against the evil, against the kingdom of darkness, against sin, against demonic oppression, against strongholds and principalities and powers that exalt themselves up against the name of Jesus. Like, if you're going to do war there, you will not be able to do that in your own flesh. The sinful nature will not equip you to do war on that front. You will need to be, as Jesus was, full of the Spirit of God. If we wish to see God's kingdom come in tangible ways, if we wish to see the sick healed and we desperately wish to see the sick healed, you cannot do that in your own power. We've been in ministry for 10 years and we've seen people healed. I wish there would have been more. I don't know who God's going to heal. It's not my job to know. My job to just contend for it and to ask and to seek and to keep seeking. I don't have the power to heal anybody. Neither do you. But if we want to see healing break out in this place, we need to be full of Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes for a purpose. We're empowered for purpose. That purpose primarily is to continue the ministry of Jesus and to push back against the kingdom of darkness. So, uh, worship team, you can come up as we land this thing. As it relates to living a life in the Spirit, a life according to His Spirit, a life influenced by the Spirit of God, how do you fare? Don't answer out loud. Now, some of us heard this message, and we, we caught you on a good week. And you said, wow, I'm encouraged to just continue going. But probably most of us might realize, my, we got, we got some work to do. Some of us were awakened to this reality that there's a war going on. And that in order for that war to turn out the right way, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Some of us have been instructed today to take a closer look at the fruit that is growing on our lives. Don't try to impress anybody. That won't serve you. There's lustful pleasures growing on the tree of your life that call it out. Is there a lack of self-control in your life that call it out? If you can see patterns of besetting sin, well-worn patterns and behaviors like 
Listen, call it out. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Absolutely none. And some of us have long forgotten about our purpose, right? It's so easy to just come to church and go to small group and just take care of the kids and go to work, and you forget that you're here for a reason. Now, how many of you know, to the degree that you understand that you are here for a purpose, like your purpose should dictate, like, what you do? Who you are in Christ should determine, like, what you give yourself to. And what you spend your resources and your time and your energy and your, your emotional, you know, energy like purpose, right? Are you living your life because you understand that you are here to continue the ministry of Jesus? Like, if, 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 like would a stranger who examined your life say, well, when I audited your life, it's obvious to me that you are continuing the ministry of Jesus with your life. Carry on. Or might they do something else? Again, I don't say this to condemn. I say this because, like, can you imagine if, like, this whole room, full of the Spirit of God, took to their corner of wherever you go when you leave here, and you lived a life of overflow. And all the people who called themselves followers of Jesus were just spilling all over the place. Can you imagine There would be no corner of this world touched by the goodness of God. The kingdom would be coming. The kingdom would be advancing. Like, this is like who we're supposed to be. And so my prayer for you as we enter into worship is that you will continue to let God examine you, that you would be honest, that you will be open, and that you will respond in the appropriate way. Let me pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we acknowledge that there's a war raging. We confess to you that we've given ourselves to the lesser things. We confess today, Lord, that we have not lived lives on purpose and on, on mission. We've lived for ourselves. We've lived for comfort. We've lived for pleasure. Father, as we posture ourselves today to say, come Holy Spirit, we offer you an invitation to come and fill us again. And Father, we know that as you fill us, you have a way of displacing things that aren't supposed to be there. And Father, as you fill us, we know that we will spill all over the world around us, and that's exactly what you called us to do. So Father, would you come in your power and your presence? And Father, I pray for those who are skeptical, those who who doubt you today. Father, I pray that you would allow us to feel your consuming presence, your consuming fire, even as we worship today. Father, give us eyes to see ourselves the way you see us. Give us eyes to spot the things that you need us to work on. Father, may this week, this week, be full of traces of your Spirit's work everywhere. May we be people who bear the fruit of your spirit and push back the kingdom of darkness. Make it so in my life. Make it so in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.